Welcome to the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor Podcast. I'm Joel Swider, an attorney with Hall Render, the largest healthcare-focused law firm in the country. And today we're going to be discussing hospital community benefits and sharing some ideas for how hospitals can demonstrate the good work they're doing in the community. I'm excited to have three guests with me today. The first is Carrie McKean Kelly. Carrie, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Joel. Um, my name's Carrie. I'm the Vice President of Communications and Member Services for the New Jersey Hospital Association. And um, some of what I do here is take issues like community benefit that we're talking about today and, and make sure our external stakeholders uh, hear about it, whether that's community members or legislators or members of the media. Great. Well, Carrie, welcome. And our next guest is Neil Eicher. Neil, uh, can you tell us a little about what you do? Sure. So um, I'm Vice President of Government Relations and Policy at the New Jersey Hospital Association. I run the advocacy department both on the state side and the federal side. I've been at NJHA for 12 years now. Uh, prior to NJHA, I was chief of staff to a local state senator, so came up from the political route and uh, look forward to the discussion today. Great. And last but not least, we have John Palmer. John, welcome. Hi, Joel. Thank you for having me. Uh, I've been with the Ohio Hospital Association for eight years, um, working in our advocacy department, focusing primarily on media relations and community outreach initiatives. And uh, the community benefit uh, program and initiative has um, been uh, one of my areas uh, for the last eight years at OHA. And um, happy to be on to talk a little bit more about that and its role in, in uh, community health. Great. Well, thank you all for being here and being willing to share your knowledge. We're talking about demonstrating hospital community benefits. So why is this important? Well, providing charity care and community benefits is important for hospitals, for one thing, because it affects the way they're viewed in the eyes of the public. Not only that, but also demonstrating charitable purposes or community benefits is a requirement for tax exemption at the federal level and in almost every state at the state and local levels. We're talking here about exemption from federal income tax, property tax exemption at the state and local level is a big one, as well as exemption from state income tax and sales and use tax. But increasingly, we've seen, we at Hall Render have seen at the federal level as well as at the state level in numerous states, challenges to hospital property tax and other types of tax exemption. So today we'll try to help hospitals come up with some innovative ways to demonstrate levels of charity care and community benefits in order to respond to and hopefully even preempt some of these governmental and third party uh, attacks. So the first question I have, and this is really directed to both Ohio Hospital Association and New Jersey Hospital Association, um, I mean, both of you, in, in addition to several other state hospital associations, have been calculating and publishing a report for several years, which is a community benefits report. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what, what the impetus was in putting together that report? Hi, Joel. Um, I think I'll take this one from OHA's perspective. Um, probably about nearly 20 years ago, we... Um, were working internally with one of our committees, and there was a desire to have a document that really captured the statewide kind of figures and numbers to really look at as a whole, as a state, how are we, um, you know, implementing community benefit. Um, at the time, charity care 
uh, you know, the financial assistance uh, services that hospitals have uh, provided, um, you know, was getting uh, growing, um, you know, that was causing some concern about, you know, the amount of uninsured uh, Ohioans and, uh, you know, what opportunities we had to help address that because it was putting some, um, you know, strain on hospitals. So, uh, eventually OHA speared, uh, spearheaded and led a uh, kind of a collection process, uh, kind of capturing all of our members' uh, community benefits, so our charity care, Medicare losses, Medicaid losses, community benefit activities, bad debt, uh, kind of compiling that um, into a, a report. Uh, instead of kind of creating um, uh, those parameters, we kind of follow the National uh, Catholic Health Association's guidelines for community benefit reporting. And so those categories uh, that I mentioned uh, come from that kind of a national standard there. Um, and so we put together a report and ever since then we've been issuing that. Um, it's taken some different forms over the years, whether it was a online um, kind of web page, a printed report, a fact sheet, um, you know, brochure, and, and, and any of those things that it, it took different form to kind of meet the audience uh, needs or or to really focus on the story that we wanted to tell. Sure. So could you tell me, and I don't know uh, if the NJHA folks want to weigh in on that. Do you, do you have any other sort of impetus and in, in, in why you decided to put the report together? Um, our experience is similar to that that John described, um, but just very, speaking very simply, I would say that our goal is to make sure that stakeholders are aware of the depth and breadth of the contributions our hospitals make. Um, it becomes a very good tool in telling that story in your community, but also for use in um, policy development and advocacy. You know, um, it's, it's important that everyone sees not only that data um, and how impressive that number is when you count it all up across the state, but also the community stories that are that are behind that data. Um, you know, hospitals are such important anchors of their communities, and I, I think there can be a tendency for people to take that for granted. But um, it's such an important reminder for us to see that the dollars and support um, reaches into the billions, and that's not just in delivering healthcare services and jobs, but but also those value-added programs in their communities. That makes sense. And so you've talked a little bit about where the data comes from in terms of Schedule H. Um, I guess, could you tell me a little bit about how the reports are set up and, and what types of metrics are included? There is a pretty standard reporting structure in these community benefit reports. The categories and definitions are established by the Catholic Health Association, and they cover four main areas, and they are free and discounted care, community health improvement services, health professions, education, and kind of a catch-all category called other community benefit programs. Um, so the, the idea, I think, is to have any organization across the state, or I'm sorry, across the nation, adhering to these standard definitions and categories so we can get a pretty good picture and, and comparison um, across the nation. But I would say that with that said, we here at NJJ have had some, discu some discussions about whether the standard categories that, was, that were developed, I don't even know how long ago, 
um, whether they're really capturing all of the work that hospitals are doing today in their communities with so much growing focus on social determinants of health, for example, hospitals are invest, investing in programs like housing and, and transportation, you know, quite, quite apart from traditional healthcare. Um, and we're not sure that we're really capturing that in all of these community benefit reports. And um, so let's drill down a little bit into what these reports show and, and what the advice is for hospitals. Um, I guess we'll start with New Jersey. The 2019 New Jersey Community Benefit Report indicated that New Jersey's nonprofit hospitals contributed $2.83 billion in, that's billion with a B, in community benefit support within their local communities in 2017. Um, what does that consist of? The largest chunk of those dollars in, in New Jersey's report is in free and discounted care, and that totals $1.9 billion. And that includes charity care for those people without health insurance. And it also includes the shortfalls that hospitals incur when they care for a Medicare and Medicaid beneficiary. Because, of course, um, we know that both of those programs um, reimburse hospitals at rates that are less than the actual, actual cost of providing the care. Um, and that total also includes un uncollectible patient care costs, which is more commonly um, called bad debt. You know, so it's basically quite simply care that the hospital provide, but um, for which they never recouped payments. Um, New Jersey's total also includes $247 million in health professions education. That includes graduate medical education. And, and again, that's an area that people might not really think about, but it's so important for developing the next generation of, of physicians and other healthcare professionals. Our total also includes $60 million in community health improvement services. And those are the, the things that you would normally think about when you hear the term community benefit. So that would include services like health screenings, support groups, health classes, fitness classes, those sorts of things. And finally, our other category um, totals $620 million. And, and that includes a lot of those overlooked areas. Um, one of those important ones that people may not think about are service lines that a hospital may operate at a loss, but they continue to provide that service because they've identified a need in the community. Another area that would be included in that are um, payments in lieu of taxes or other contributions that hospitals make to their host municipalities. So for OHA, I'm looking at your report here, and the latest OHA report shows a couple of interesting things to me, one of which is that Ohio hospitals provided $7.5 billion in total uncompensated care in 2016, which I assume is the latest year that we have data for. And this was up from $4.9 billion in 2013, which was pre-expansion of Medicaid eligibility. It seems to me wasn't one of the stated goals of Medicaid expansion that more people would be covered by insurance and, and therefore costs to the system would go down as there would be less uncompensated care. Um, if that's the case, you know, how is it that the total uncompensated care figure has risen about 65%, it looks like, um, over that three-year period post-Medicaid expansion? I don't know, John, if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, thanks, Joe, for um, bringing that up because, you know, it's one of those things as as we develop our community benefit reports, 
Um, a, another aspect is, is uh, or another term that's often affiliated is our total uncompensated care. So when you look at community benefits, you're looking at your charity care, your community benefit activities, the Medicaid loss, and then uh, any reimbursements from the federal DISH program. Um, and then that's where you get your net community benefit. And then to go a step further to calculate the uncompensated care, you also uh, look at the Medicare losses and then the bad debt that the hospital uh, has, has incurred. And so uh, when we report out our data, uh, we have community benefit, but we also report out uncompensated care. In the situation with Medicaid expansion that came through with the Affordable Care Act, Ohio uh, implemented that in 2014 with uh, uh, covering more Ohioans, low income, um, onto the Medicaid program. And so in that year uh, of 2013, you know, we had a you know, decent uh, amount of uninsured. After a expansion happened in 2014, we saw the uninsured population decrease significantly. Um, and all of a sudden now you're shifting that population from uninsured over to government payer. And so you saw that drop in charity care. What happened also in that time is we saw a pretty decent uptick in hospitals, um, community benefit activities. So their efforts around, you know, research, uh, health education, community health services, subsidized health services to, um, um, uh, to what Carrie was referencing earlier, you know, um, community building, financial aid, and kind contribution. So we saw a huge uptick, uh, about um, $1.5 billion of that uh, with 2016 data. Um, we saw Medicare, Medicaid and Medicare losses also increased uh, as well. And so you kind of shifted from one major category because before expansion, charity care did you know, occupy a pretty big allocation of our community benefit. And so once that decreased, then you saw increases in hospitals making investments in their community benefit activities, uh, but they were also taking uh, some greater losses when it came to the Medicaid and Medicare program uh, during that time. Uh, we will have 2017 data out here. Uh, we're kind of putting some final touches on our 2019 report, which focuses on 2017 data. Uh, that we would have out before the end of the year. Um, and I will say that we are seeing increases in uh, all the in all those areas of charity care, community benefit activities, uh, as well as uh, Medicaid and Medicare losses. So uh, it, it continues to be kind of, um, you know, volatile when it comes to, you know, these numbers reporting and trying to get, um, you know, some trend analysis going on there too. But I think it's responsive to the communities that we're seeing uh, and a lot of utilization of services or a lack of utilization of services around um, in some areas. So I think we'll continue to see some of those fluctuations. Well, John, that's interesting. Forward. So in, I know you said the report isn't out yet, uh, but have you, I mean, just in your preliminary look at the 2017 data, have you seen those trends continuing? Yeah, we're seeing increases in charity care, community benefit activities, um, as well as uh, Medicaid and Medicare losses uh, are, are gone up as well. Uh, bad debt has increased a little bit, um, but overall we're seeing, uh, we're, we'll be reporting out um, uh, a community total community benefit increase from 2016 data and then uh, total uncompensated care uh, increase as well um, for, okay. uh, for the end of the year. So it sounds like, 
you know, as I'm listening to you and, and reading uh, these reports, there are a couple of elements, it seems, to this concept of community benefit or, or contributions generally to the community. There's the uncompensated or charity care side. And then there's also this concept of community building or outreach activities. According to both of your reports, hospitals are engaging really in both of these activities. Could you talk about what's driving this kind of multi-pronged approach? I, I think it's really part of the growing recognition that what happens in your home and in your community has a greater influence on your health than what happens within the four walls of the hospital. You know, hospitals have always made these commitments and community benefit, but I think it's becoming much more of a strategic approach under um, healthcare reform and the focus on population health. Uh, hospital investments in healthy communities simply make good sense for, for improved patient outcomes, lower healthcare costs, and a much more sustainable healthcare delivery system. Well, the the numbers that are cited um, in these reports seem to indicate that not only are your member hospitals providing huge amounts of, of charity care, but the amount of charity care and community benefits and community development funds has actually been increasing steadily. Um, I want to switch gears and start looking from uh from benefits to costs, because there was a report that was put out in September of this year, September 2019, by an economics professor at Ball State University here in Indiana. And his report asserted that the increasing cost of healthcare is largely attributable to what he calls monopolization of the not-for-profit healthcare sector. In other words, nonprofit health systems, which, by the way, comprise over half of the hospitals in the United States or, you know, acute care hospitals with the remaining 44 percent split fairly evenly between for profit and governmental. These nonprofits have grown in size and in market concentration by purchasing and aligning with independent hospitals to such an extent that they have the ability to unilaterally push prices up in a given market. At least that's the argument. And while the data that Professor Hicks used to support his conclusions was largely correlational, uh, I mean, in my eyes, it did make for some splashy headlines here in Indiana. Uh, it also made some, some national trade publications as well. And his proposed solution was more taxes on revenue, more taxes on real estate, and more taxes on asset holdings by these not-for-profit healthcare providers. I think if, if you peel back the onion on some of these arguments, at the root of it is a perception that hospitals, particularly nonprofit hospitals, are just not providing enough charity care to, to justify their exemptions. And it seems to me, and, and, and part of the reason why I was, why I am excited to have you on the show is, is that what OHA and NJHA and other hospital associations are doing is really creating a snapshot of what good that these hospitals truly do in our communities. How do you, OHA, NJHA, respond to these types of challenges, and how, how do you advise your member hospitals to respond? Well, this is, John, I, I would just comment that, um, you know, and in fact that, yes, charity care has gone down just in response to this great achievement that we've had with um, you know, being able to offer um, 
coverage options to many Ohioans that wouldn't be eligible to if it wasn't uh, under the uh, Affordable Care Act with Medicaid expansion. Uh, the Affordable Care Act was a significant uh, piece of legislation. It is the law of the land. Um, there's been attempts to repeal it and replace it. Um, and I think there's always going to be efforts. We should always be um, focused on improving and making improvements um, uh, and reforms appropriately uh, to build upon successes and look at impacts because the ACA uh, was significant, but you know they, they still had some flaws and, and areas that needed to be addressed. Uh, one of those in particular was Medicaid expansion was offered in response to uh, a cut and a reduction that hospitals were going to take with our um, supplemental programs through through the DISH um, initiative. And, and that's uh, forthcoming um, as far as uh, what the latest reports are out of Washington uh, is that uh, those cuts are going to be coming too as well. And so um, even though it might have seemed like the Affordable Care Act handed hospitals, providers, um, you know, a lot of resources at the same time, it came at a cost um, to kind of balance things out. Um, I think on top of that, you're seeing hospitals and healthcare beyond what is happening uh, with these healthcare reforms and, and healthcare laws, uh, hospitals are continuing to make uh, significant contributions with community benefit activities. When you saw when expansion was implemented, charity care dropped, but we saw an increase in community benefit activities. Hospitals making uh, strong efforts and making investments in their communities, looking at um, you know clinics, uh, establishing um, you know community health initiatives through clinics, uh, looking at population health issues like diabetes and obesity and smoking. Um, you know some of these areas uh, that really have an impact in helping to turn around a community's health. Um, so I think overall we're going to continue to focus on our community benefit programming because numbers are important. Numbers tell a pretty big story, but it really needs to have a narrative. It really needs to start doing snapshots. And we're seeing a lot of our hospitals make that effort in their reporting of community benefits and really telling that story about those uh, programs that they've initiated, those partnerships that they've uh, established. Uh, to really advance, um, you know, healthcare and wellness in, in the community. So I think you'll see that uh, moving forward. Uh, Neil, anything in, in you report? And I, I sure, I'll, I'll just, uh, you know, John outlined it very, very well. I mean, it, it's easy to look at uh, the expansion of Medicaid and the reforms on the ACA in a vacuum and not understand that hospitals um, were significant contributors financially and still are to actually the expansion, but it was something that we had supported as an industry nationwide because we recognize uh, the financial and the the healthcare quality benefits of providing insurance to people um, ahead of time so that they can access the care, uh, hopefully not even in the hospital and not getting to that point. So it's important to remember that hospitals were a partner and actually uh, funding a lot of these reforms. And, you know, the ACA doesn't get talked a lot about, but the way that they've changed kind of the value-based programs and how uh, the federal government is now reimbursing for outcomes instead of actual procedures and services in a way and a fee-for-service model that we were all used to. And it's really driven um, the changes that, that uh, John alluded to about providing more care in the community, um, A, because it's the right thing to do and it's part of our mission, but B, as payment models changes ch change, you know, hospitals have to adjust and recognize that they are going to benefit from um, keeping patients healthy and out of the hospitals. And then kind of getting to Professor Hicks' point, you know, every state is different. Um, 
I can speak for New Jersey, you know, about 10 years ago, we had uh, significant hospital closures because a lot of these community hospitals could not, um, you know, keep up with the growing uninsured and charity care and other uh, issues that they were facing. And so what we've seen is a consolidation has actually saved a lot of hospitals in New Jersey. And the, instead of hospitals closing, they're getting acquired or working in partnerships uh, with larger systems. And this has created, you know, efficiencies with technology, uh, investment of capital, uh, bulk purchasing, better coordinated care throughout the community. It's not just nonprofit hospitals getting with other nonprofit hospitals. They're acquiring urgent care centers, home care agencies, nursing homes, and recognizing that uh, helping the patient through the continuum of care um, makes the most sense uh, for the community. So, and just the last thing I'll add um, is that I, I think, again, taking this out of the vacuum um, at one issue at a time, recognizing the economic benefits that hospitals provide uh, to the state and to its local community um, through, you know, individual income taxes, through sales and use taxes, through other taxes that hospitals pay. Sometimes it gets lost in a discussion uh, that there's this assumption that as nonprofits, you know, we pay no taxes, which is absolutely false. Um, so we contribute greatly to the economy. Um, and so I think that needs to be seen. And, you, you know, it was mentioned a couple of times about a snapshot and we talk about this all the time is, you know, how can we tell the story and how can it's, how can we help each hospital tell its story? Um, and, and showing the community involvement and having it relate and not just be numbers, but recognizing that hospitals here, you know, as safety nets for those, uh, who absolutely need us. Um, we're telling our story and why we're important and why we, you know, sure. take our well, missions Continuing very, very in that seriously. theme um, of, you know, telling the story, the, uh, I believe it was commissioned by the American Hospital Association, but in, in May of 2019, E&Y put out two reports analyzing community benefits and tax-exempt hospitals, and they compared those benefits to the foregone, foregone uh, income tax revenues that the government loses by nature of granting exemption to these hospitals. And the reports, uh, they looked at, at tax returns, Forms 990, from tax-exempt hospitals, and they also looked at CMS cost report data. And they found uh, some interesting things. One was the amount of foregone federal income tax revenue due to the tax-exempt status of U.S. nonprofit general hospitals in 2016 was $9 billion in the aggregate. So that's a lot of money. But the amount of community benefit provided by these hospitals the same year was $95 billion. So that's about 11 times more than the foregone revenues. Um, another finding I thought was interesting is that almost $44 billion of community benefits that were provided by these hospitals came from financial assistance, unreimbursed Medicaid and other unreimbursed costs from means-tested government programs. So these programs really are not filling the gaps. It, it's the hospitals themselves, at least it appears to me, that, that these hospitals are really being forced to fill those gaps. Um, so to me, these, these numbers are pretty compelling evidence of the value add that nonprofit and tax-exempt hospitals provide. Um, is this consistent? And John, I guess I'll ask you, specifically at OHA, have, is this consistent with what you found um, in Ohio? And how do you make sure that state and local officials are aware of these the good things that, that these hospitals are doing? Yeah, I think, I mean, that, that was an important study. And, you know, that one aspect that you pointed out about, you know, um, 
$44 billion of community benefits uh, from financial assistance and unimbursed, uh, unreimbursed uh, Medicaid. Uh, you know, those are important factors. I mean, charity care is always um, the focal point and always kind of that, that go-to uh, historically. But uh, I think as we're uh, coming into kind of a new era of healthcare delivery, you know, areas around the community benefit programs, those are the stories that I think when you go into those individual communities, that's where you really see that work uh, come to light. Um, particularly when you look at subsidized healthcare services, emergency and trauma services, you know, these are 24-7 operations uh, that are, have a lot of requirements uh, for um, accreditation uh, uh, recognition and, and staffing and equipment and training and, um, you know, outpatient services, behavioral health services uh, under the subsidized healthcare. You know, a lot of these don't get at cost uh, for Medicaid and Medicare, but hospitals are providing a lot of that care um, uh, through different uh, uh, delivery channels. Um, and so I think that's uh, an important factor there when you look at this kind of tax exempt and looking at charity care, you really need to look at that greater picture of the total community benefit because there's a lot of elements in there um, where you would you would go into respective communities and talk to you know, the local mayor, city council members, the principal at the local school, um, you know, any other social services. Uh, and, and you'll you'll start hearing that that story of how the hospital is working uh, to, um, you know, make some of those improvements. Uh, the opioid crisis uh, has hit a lot of states and has hit our country significantly, and Ohio is one of them. And I can tell you that that has had a detrimental impact on uh, a lot of communities in our state, uh, but hospitals, uh, you know, are working, um, you know, to try to turn that around and get uh, and and get those uh, numbers uh, to where they need to be. Um, so I think you'll see a lot more of that uh, spelled out in these reports moving forward. We'll end with this question. Um, you know, Senator Chuck Grassley, chair of the Senate Finance Committee, sent a letter in October 2019 to UVA Health System about its collections practices being too aggressive and also about the high costs of medical bills in general. And I'm personally, I'm guessing that that we're going to see some legislative and or administrative posturing on this issue in the near future. Um, question to, to both, what are your legislative priorities in the coming year or so regarding hospital exemptions and community benefits? Sure. So from a comment from the federal side and a comment from the state side. On the federal side, not directly relating to exemptions, but we do see uh, a fight on uh, surprise out-of-network medical bills um, and its comments like the senators and others um, that are looking to create a dispute resolution system or a cap on what hospitals and, and doctors can uh, receive as far as out-of-network payments, which will significantly reduce uh, payments to, to providers for in-network services. So. Um, I think there are multiple um, legislative initiatives afoot to try to address this. Um, and of course, looking at things through through a vacuum, not completely understanding um, how costs get calculated. Um, I think that's pretty much our next biggest threat on the federal level. On the state side, directly related uh, to your question, Joel, is that we've been fighting in New Jersey for over three years for a legislative solution from a court case um, back in 2015 with one of our nonprofit hospitals 
who had been in a, in a battle with its town um, over its nonprofit property tax exemption, um, which our law currently allows for, uh, and I assume most, if not all, states also allow for. Uh, but the judge made a decision in tax court, not superior court, um, that the hospital should be paying property taxes. Uh, we obviously disagreed uh, with this uh, court opinion, um, but since then ha had feared um, that our towns would start coming after hospitals, uh, nonprofit hospitals, and trying to um, subject them to property taxes. Um, we have 59 nonprofit hospitals in the state, 71 total acute care. Uh, of the 59, over 40, 40 have been engaged in litigation with their towns uh, over their property tax exemption. Um, we've had about 12 or 14 have settled uh, with their towns for a period of three to five years with a, a payment in lieu of taxes in order to um, not be put on the, on the tax rolls. Uh, but we have been pushing strongly for a legislative solution so that we're not wasting resources uh, and spending money just going after protecting our property tax exemption and paying lawyers and legal fees to defend it. Instead, the money would be best served uh, putting it back into uh, the care that we deliver to the community. So our legislative solution generally is to, again, codify uh, more clearly in statute our property tax exemption, but recognizing that nonprofit hospitals have changed uh, over the last few decades, um, recognizing that hospitals have and do utilize municipal resources like fire, ambulance, emergency services, et cetera, um, that we would pay a community contribution fee to our local town. And for, for us, we came up with the number of $2.50 per bed per day. The nonprofit hospital would calculate, make it uh, publicly available what that number is, and then on a quarterly basis, make that payment directed to the municipalities. Uh, then uh, in exchange, they cannot come after us for property taxes um, the way that they're doing now. Um, it's not the ideal solution. Uh, it's about $20 million statewide that we're voluntarily raising our hands and saying that we want to contribute, but it beats having to go through the legal process and having to justify why we deserve our property tax exemption. And so this is NJHA's number one priority to try to solve over the next couple of years. It's been very difficult because as you can imagine, uh, each town uh, wants to maximize how much money they can get out of the hospital industry. And unfortunately, in some instances, um, it has created uh, bad blood between the towns and the hospitals who originally had a good relationship. And it's also um, making hospitals kind of fill the budget gaps that municipalities are facing. And instead, seeing it as a legitimate health care or community contribution, they're looking at us for dollars to fill their budget gaps. And that is completely out of the intent um, of what the hospital's mission is to the community. And as we were talking about today, the economic benefits and community benefits that we provide. Um, and that's why the community benefits report is so important because it really drives that narrative so that the legislature, the governor's office, the policymakers understand that there is a value in having this property tax exemption and having a hospital in the community and all the all the resources and all the contributions they provide, not to just the local municipality, but the surrounding area. So that's a big issue for NJHA, um, and we're hoping to get some legislative solutions soon. 
So, Anil, you know, you and I have talked about this issue in the past. I think a lot of us um, around the country really are looking at at New Jersey um, just because of the sort of public nature of the uh, Morristown case and and the resulting, mm-hmm. um, you know, posturing. And, and I mean, are you any closer, do you think, uh, to a legislative fix at this point than you were, you know, a couple of years ago? We are. Um and again, thanks to the good work of this community contribution report or community benefits report, we did a good job at laying the groundwork and educating policymakers. But just like in every state, you know, there's there's local politics you have to deal with. And when you're faced in a state with municipalities facing budget shortfalls and mayors being very influential, you always hit these local roadblocks. And for us, we got uh, the leadership um, in our legislature and the leadership in the governor's office fully on board. It's just hammering out a few uh, details for a couple of local issues that we have to try to navigate through. Um, so hopefully, you know, we can break that log jam and, and get it done quickly. Mm-hmm. And John, what about you? What are your uh, legislative priorities this coming year? Well, we have, uh, it's never a dull moment. I mean, you know, legislative issues are abundant. Uh, we have a new governor. Um, that just is rounding out his first uh, year administration, but um, you know we'll we'll be pressing forward. I think the big ones is the price transparency um, efforts that have happened at the federal level, but there's also been a lot of activity here in Ohio around that. Uh, you know, consumers are looking for healthcare information um, and trying to make the best decisions for them and their families, and so um, you know we need to. Uh, you know, be working on that um, collectively, payers, providers, um, policymakers to find a, a, a solution that's going to meet those consumer needs. So we'll continue to focus on that. As far as community benefit for 2020, we're going to um, be incorporating um, some more um, kind of repositories on our own respective website of our hospitals and really doing a showcase and featurettes of what uh, some of those community benefit activities look like around the state. Um, so we'll be deploying that uh, or probably second quarter uh, going into hospital week in May of 2020 to really kind of hallmark what hospitals are doing in their community. So we're going to be, um, you know, focusing on that kind of report for 2020 um, and, and really kind of leveraging that with policymakers and community leaders uh, to really tell that, that story more effectively. Great. Well, thank you all for being here. John, I guess I'll, uh, for, for OHA, um, how can our listeners learn more about, you know, either the community benefits reports or becoming a member of OHA? Who can they reach out to you or find look on your website? Yeah, we're happy to take any um uh, inquiries or any questions, uh, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, uh, our website is uh, www.ohiohospitals.org, and uh, we have a webpage there with a community benefit, um, and our contact information is also there under staff directory, and we're happy to take any questions or help with any um, um, you know efforts that might be going on out there. Great. And Neil, what about for New Jersey? Uh, NJHA.com. Um, and again, we have uh, public resources available and, and Carrie manages that. And of course, you'll have our staff directory. So if anyone has any questions uh, about legislative stuff, please feel free to reach out to me or, or to Carrie on any uh, community benefits related issues. Right. Well, Carrie, Neil, John, thank you all for joining me. 
And uh, thanks to our audience for listening today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave feedback for us using your Apple or Android device. If you're interested in more content on healthcare real estate, we also publish a newsletter called the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor. And to be added to the list, just send an email to me at jswider, J-S-W-I-D-E-R, at hallrender, H-A-L-L-R-E-N-D-E-R.com.